Alright, so, um, can you tell me something I really didn't need to know? Hey, Mom, tell me something I didn't need to know. So how about let's learn something we really don't need to know. Hi, guys. We're back. Andrew's with us this week. It's about freaking time. Ah, uh, yes. We've been gone for way too long. Like, years. I don't feel like it was that long. It felt like it. For you, maybe. For me, it was a small vacation. All right. So welcome to Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know with your co-host, Andrew. And Mary. Yay! Together again. Of course. Yeah. As always. I know. It's awesome. It is awesome. <laughs> so thanks, everybody, for giving us some time out of your day. And hopefully you enjoy what we have to talk about today. Okay. All right. Yeah. What are you drinking today? I'm drinking coffee because I have to work tonight. Okay. And uh, this looks like it's a Starbucks dark roast. It is. It's Cafe Verona. It's not bad. Delicious. I guess. It's mm. delicious. Probably way overpriced. Probably not. No, you probably didn't pay what that usually goes for. But no, I didn't. No, it's probably way overpriced coffee because it has a Starbucks logo. Oh, well, I have some amazing uh, ginger mango tea. This tea just sounded good to me today. Ginger mango. That yeah. Doesn't even, that's kind of like ginger Sprite, Mom. Works, doesn't it? I don't know. It did. <clears throat> it worked, but you didn't, the, the look on your face did not send it tasted <laughs> good at all. It worked and it wasn't horrid. And that's really the important thing. So. Yep, she's still alive, guys. You can um, drink Sprite and ginger for that. And uh, burners. So. December 27th, so we're going to give a shout out to my brother, whose birthday was yesterday. Keith, happy birthday. Hope it was a good one. Oh, do I have a day for you. Ooh, yay. You want to go first with National Day? No, you can go ahead. I'm going to skip back to the 26th after yours is done. Awesome. Um, So, December 27th is actually National Fruitcake Day. Across the United States, fruitcake lovers, young and old, will commemorate it today. Fruitcakes are made with chopped candy or dried fruits and nuts, spices, and sometimes they are actually soaked in liquor. Um, fruitcake has been a holiday gift-giving tradition for a lot, a lot of years. And we actually had one in my family that just got passed back and forth and left in really weird spots. And for 30 years, I don't think I've had fruitcake. I'm okay I have, with this. I don't think I've ever had fruitcake either. It does not even look appealing. Yeah. Um, fruitcake dates back to the ancient Rome. One of the earliest actual known recipes um, lists pomegranate seeds, pine nuts, and raisins as part of the ingredients. The middle, the people in the Middle Ages added honey, spices, and the preserved fruits that you know today. So typically, Americans produce fruitcakes that have a lot of fruit and nuts in them. They started ordering them through the mail around 1913. They are frequently sold as fundraising events. I'm not sure how anybody makes money off of them. Your guess is as good as mine. And in 1935, our expression, nutty as a fruitcake, that's when it came into play. Is that all you've got? So, yeah, basically, it's just National Fruitcake Day. Okay, so as I said, I'm going to go to December 26th. Yay. That is the day before today. Okay. So it is National Winer's Day. (laughs) This is a day that you take to complain about almost anything. Two things to remember on National Winer's Day. There are rules. There are rules for a reason. So you unappreciative people can just stop listening now. Um, You break rule breakers. You are not allowed to whine about what you don't have. Or about what you didn't get for Christmas. Good rules. And remember what you do have. Others aren't as fortunate, so please, whine responsibly. (laughs) That's awesome. And that's all I've got. 
I love it though. You pick. You always pick good national days. Still wish there was an opening day. That's a good one. Um. So did you hear about the team of twelve teenage girls from San Fernando High School? No, I typically try to stay away from teenage girls. It's just like called jailbait. Okay. Um, twelve teenage girls that were in a high school, real smart. Um, they're in a club and it's for super smart students. Yeah. So out of my league. Got it. They partnered with um, a group called Do It Yourself. Did they, in fact, do it themselves? Well, the cool thing is is that they actually designed a solar-powered tent for homeless people. They made sure that it was lightweight enough so that they could actually carry it like a backpack. Does it have outlet? Um, No, I don't think it does. So they still can't charge their cell phone or homeless. So when it gets packed up, it it's not much bigger than a backpack, and it has a clear opening on the back of it, which lets the sun shine through to charge the solar panel. So Do It Yourself Girls is actually an organization that um, it offers its sports, its support for girls that are interested in science and technology, and helps them when they come up with these ideas to put them into fruition to make them real and get them patented. And I just kind of thought it was really cool that it was teenage girls that came up with this idea and made it come to life. Support your local homeless people. Yes. Don't give them, well, no, technically it's a solar-powered tent. That would be a home. Look at that. You're solving homelessness by giving homeless people homes. Who's going to be homeless? I don't know. Somebody's screwing up the status quo. Well, I think when you empower homeless people like that, maybe it gives them the want or the need or the drive to do better. And maybe it's the first step towards picking themselves up out of the situation they're in and, and going in the direction that they want to go. I concur. And to the homeless people that really are homeless, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's not a decision for them. No. No, um, I don't believe that. I do feel bad for them. But I don't I've believe it. plenty of panhandlers here in Muskegon that are not homeless. There's a very big difference, in my opinion, between homeless and panhandlers. I'm just saying. Yeah. You know, no, I agree with you on that it's, one. It's, sometimes it's incredibly easy to tell the difference, but at the same time, sometimes it's very difficult to yeah. tell the difference. There are people that look very homeless, and as soon as you hand them money, they walk right into the bar. I think true homeless people, though, they're not out there panhandling. They're not out looking for a handout. I think they kind of keep to themselves. I mean, the stories I've read and, and heard, they do kind of have their own little communities, and they keep to themselves and, and just want to be left alone but you know the whole goal behind the solar power tents was for the girls to get the invention patented which they did and and it sounds like they were going to donate these to the homeless to get as many out there as they could and I just thought that's an amazing idea first of all for young people to not only come up with this idea but make it happen but to help somebody with it without the goal of enriching themselves I thought the whole idea was pretty it is pretty cool. Okay, so enough of, you know, the happy, depressing, happy, depressing crap. Okay. How about let's get to our story today. What do you have for us? I have... Nothing. She has absolutely nothing. That's the show, folks. Bye. <laughs> we're learn, we're going to learn a little bit about hats today. Please tell me this isn't about MAGA hats. Mm-mm. No MAGA hats in this story. <laughs> we're going to talk about a straw hat riot. Okay, interested. Okay, <laughs> now that I have your attention. We're going to go back to 1922, which is when the Straw Hat Riot, it was actually, it was a very real event. So straw hats have been around for hundreds of years. Um, they can be made from all different types of straw. 
They're constructed in a lot of different shapes. Since the 1400s, they have been worn for protection from the sun, the wind, and the rain, and they can also be found in almost every country around the world. So they were really only worn by men until the late 17th century, early 18th century. And then it was like women decided that they could use them as a fashion accessory. They added ribbons and flowers and bows and all kinds of stuff. I would be angry too. <laughs> so um, in 1674, there was a women's dictionary of fashion and they listed straw hats under apparel at that point in time and stated that they were actually necessary for feminine adornment, which kind of meant that any woman leaving her home was going to wear a straw hat. So women changed what men had been wearing. Men wore a short-brimmed hat to protect them while they worked, and they changed that into floppy, as I said, ribbon-adorned, flowers. The wider the rim, the better. Um, the cowboy hat, which was also made of straw, came out in about 1865. That actually has not changed much. The shape of a cowboy hat is pretty much exactly the way it was invented. No, but apparently the smaller they are, the sexier they are. I did not know that. I did not find that. I've never heard that. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a girl thing. Like, they make these tiny little cowboy hats for women. Oh, I hadn't heard about that. So, by the late 1800s, the early 1900s, straw hats had been embraced by everyone. Everybody was wearing them. And by 1944, straw hats were actually Ecuador's number one export. Just a little mini fact. So, basically, in my research... Throughout history, the straw hat has just been a workhorse. It's useful, it's popular, it's versatile, and it's financially beneficial. So so how do you take such an innocuous object and end up with a freaking three-day riot? Because women had to put bows on the freaking things and make the brim wider? Why, why is that a The thing? story has nothing to do with women, though, actually. The mm. riot had absolutely nothing to do with women. It was all men. This riot ended up resulting in a lot of arrests, and even people got injured and went to the hospital. What was there not enough to go around? We're going to find out. Okay. All right. So, until the 1960s, the article of clothing that actually performed the most important role in indicating your social distinctions among men was their hat. In society, men's hats were used to claim and maintain their social status. So, walking down the street, you could tell... A man's social status by the hat that he wore upon his head. The elaborate custom of hat tipping was a means of expressing deference to a man's superior, and it was reflected the importance of the hat in marking the class boundaries. Because back then they had very distinctive class classes. You class absolutely classes? um class classes classes class classes. Okay. Yeah. Since men re- represented their families out in public. Their hats, rather than the women's hats, were used to indicate the status of the entire family. Women's head coverings during this period were very varied and definitely more stylish, but they actually had nothing to do with the status of the family. Women's hats at this point in time exemplified what is called conspicuous consumption, which is when you spend your money on luxury goods and services so that you can go out in public to say, look at what I have. Men's hat said, look at who I am. Women's hat says, look at what I have. 
In the 1800s, not only was it unacceptable to go outside without a hat, society often dictated that you had to wear one inside as well. So the story is about the straw boater. And the straw boater came into existence when a machine for sewing straw was actually invented in the 1800s. Because until then, straw hats were made by hand and used mostly by the working class. But with this invention became came mass production. With mass production came fashion accessorizing. So straw hats soon appeared as summertime wear, which was usually in connection to summer sporting events, such as boating, which is where the name for this particular hat came from. Panama hats were likely derived from tropical attire, but they began to be worn as informal summer attire. And initially, it was not considered good form for men to wear these in big cities, even during the height of summer. So I guess if you lived in or worked in a big city, you didn't wear them in the big city. Women's hats, on the other hand, their rules were entirely different. They could just wear whatever hat they wanted, whenever they wanted, however they wanted, as long as they were wearing a hat. Men had really strict rules for wearing hats. By the early 20th century, straw boaters were considered acceptable day attire in North American cities, even for businessmen. But there was an unwritten rule that one was not supposed to wear a straw hat past September 15th. September 15th is still known today as National Felt Hat Day. It is the day that you exchange your straw hat for a felt hat. We already did National Days. Move on. <laughs> Let it go, Mom. Well, Let my question go. here is, if you're going to wear a felt hat after September 15th, when I don't know that it's going to handle the snow well. No, but and, and did they have a National Straw Hat Day so that you know that's the day you put your straw hat back on? Or is it just one day where you wear a felt hat? Um, I did find that May 15th was Straw Hat Day. Most of the articles that I read stated it was basically um, eight or nine months from September that you could wear it. But the one article did state May 15th was straw. Okay. Society had weird rules then. Like so, they don't now? But because we grew up with the rules, they make more sense to us. No. <laughs> so September 15th was not the original day that they set for Felt Hat Day. It was originally September 1st. It eventually shifted to mid-month because the National Association of Straw Hat Manufacturers launched a campaign to stop merchants from putting out their felt hats during warm weather season. Now, I'm not sure what that two-week period, how that makes a big difference, but it worked. They switched the date to September 15th. This tradition um, of not wearing your straw hat after seven, September 15th became very well established. Your newspapers would often put in stories reminding you to switch your hats, get ready to switch your hats. I think I would have been a black sheep and just not worn a freaking hat. So during this time, there was a thing called hat bashing. It was socially acceptable after September 15th. It was very acceptable for stockbrokers to destroy each other's hats if they wore them after September 15th due to the fact that they were companions or friends. But it was not acceptable if you were told a stranger to take someone's hat and hat bash them. If any man was seen wearing a straw hat, he was subjecting himself to ridicule. And there was a tradition with young people to knock the straw hats off stomp on them that's where you get your hat bashing not sure who came up with these rules kind of ridiculous the government <laughs> i don't know <laughs> so even though hat bashing was supposed to start after september 15th occasionally push the envelope on this style etiquette at this point in time dictated that the date of september 15th was definite and inflexible and social conformity 
influenced what men wore and when they wore it. This ended up becoming an excuse for gangs of hoodlums with mob-like mentalities to indulge themselves in a straw hat bashing orgy. And they did. So this is words I never thought I would hear together. <laughs> True. True. So the riots lasted for three days. They were in September of 1922, and they started on the 13th, to which I have what? What? It's um not the 15th. We're going to start this early. Maybe they were mad they had to take their straw hats off in three days. Groups of younger people who were armed with sticks, and some of the sticks had nails on them, so that they could just reach out and flick that hat right off your head. Turn the streets of New York into a gauntlet strewn with the remnants of voters because they were smashing unseasonable straw hats and trampling them in the streets. And afterwards, they would throw the hats into a bonfire. I'm not really sure about the mentality of these people. I don't get it, like at all, any of this story. I I don't understand. The New York Times did an article on this. They used the word unseasonable, making these young hoodlums sound like they're fashion police, which they're not. Like, hey, they were just trying to enforce your style etiquette. I personally find this an excuse for bad behavior. It's a very poor excuse. But people who lost their hats fought back, and when the youth tried to stomp a group of dock workers' hats, a fight ensued. Back then, they called it a brawl, which led to injuries and arrests. People who resisted the boys against getting their hats smashed were frequently beaten and frequently ended up in the hospital due to their injuries. Some of the rioters... Even when after off-duty policemen, it didn't seem that anyone was immune to having their hat bashed. So it was reported in the newspaper that hundreds of boys and young men terrorized the city during this time, and the riots lasted for three days, resulting in the loss of thousands of straw hats. I look at this, I think about it, and I think the only people that profited were the people that were selling felt hats or replacement straw boaters. So the hat shops. They got to stay open much later. They sold a lot more of their wares, and I would assume they profited very heavily from these riots. Could the hatters been behind the riots? Could they have started it and encouraged it? I think that that's a super good possibility. On September 16th, a dozen boys were arrested for these crimes, and seven more received spankings from their parents, because apparently it was still okay to spank your children, and the ones that got spanked were under the age of 15. When the juveniles were rounded up, they went before a magistrate who stated, quote, it is against the law to smash a man's hat, and he has the right to wear it in January in the snowstorm if he wishes, even if it's not practical. To hit a man's hat is a simple assault, and in this court it will be treated as such, and I want you to spread this word among all of those who would smash hats, unquote. So the delinquents that were found guilty were fined $5, which in today's money is about $26.29. Because, as the magistrate said, despite being a tradition, it was illegal. After that, the hat-smashing tradition continued in a minor way, but actually died out around 1930, when straw hats became unfashionable and the rules changed. (laughs) So, what I'm gathering here is that the world of fashion actually runs our society. That's a good way to look at it. Kind of does. That's dumb. It is. But then you and I have never followed fashion either. No. There's, There's a lot about fashion that I do not understand. Yeah, I don't get pretty much so, any of it. So that is the straw ri- the straw hat riots of nineteen twenty two. People have riots over straw hats and that's crazy. Do they have masked fashion shows now in our day? I will bet you if we Google it they do. I will bet you they do. Okay. All right. So I had a listener send me I've we've gotten a lot of suggestions from listeners. So I had a listener we had a listener suggest <laughs> Onion Town. Have you ever heard of Onion Town? I just saw that. Did you see the request? Do you know what Onion Town is? Nope. Okay. I kind of like it that way. (sighs) 
Wikipedia lists Onion Town. It's super short. Onion Town is a road and a community in Dutchess County, New York. It's located one and a half miles south of the hamlet of Dover Plains. It is partially known for the historically off-putting demeanor of its residents or its outsiders. Ogres are like onions. Oh, you should follow through that thought. They're not like apes. <laughs> it's from Shrek. I know. I thought you'd continue. No. Okay. So I checked out Onion Town. And my first impression of Onion Town was, oh, this is going to be a fantastically interesting story about some incredibly bizarre people. So I dug a lot. And here's what I came up with. Now, did you use a shovel or a backhoe? Both. Okay. Both. Despite its name, Onion Town isn't an actual town. It is actually more of a mountainside neighborhood. It is filled with a haphazard collection of rundown trailers. It is on a dead-end dirt road. This neighborhood has a notorious reputation that when people talk about it, puts thoughts into your head. They use the words hillbilly, inbred and drugs frequently when speaking about the residents of this neighborhood. Residents of Onion Town have a very hard time finding jobs in the towns around them because they live where they live. Try to picture a community without electricity, without radios, no movie house. The kids don't usually make it through eighth grade. Illiteracy abounds. People consider Onion Town to be very primitive. Sounds pretty primitive. Even Dover's post office, which is a mile and a half away, does not consider Onion Town worthy to deliver mail there. The people of Onion Town actually have to rent post office boxes and go pick up their mail. That seems dumb. I'm not really I'm sure not what the sure words how to feel about this. Right. And like, should I feel bad for these people? Should I be like? That's kind of where no, I started. No wonder they have a bad demeanor because I mean. That's where I started. Historically, Onion Towners, because that's what they call them, Onion Towners, seem to be thought of as somehow less than regular people. They consider them to be gap-toothed hillbillies who dwell in a kind of medieval mountain darkness. The earliest mention I could find of Onion Town appeared in a 1908 book called Historic Dover, which says one mile south of Dover Plains is a little settlement composed of two classes, males that don't do anything, and females that bring up the children and take the business off the old man's hands. Which kind of puts a picture in your head, if you believe that, of people who don't do anything. They're lazy. Okay, but how do they get groceries? How do they afford to rent their P.O. box? How, you know? uh, these are questions that I'm going to say that the, the author of this book didn't really think about. In 1947, there was an international news service reporter. His name was James Kilgallen. He went up to Town and he wrote a trio of articles about the neighborhood and his headlines were Escape from the Atomic Age, Real Life Tobacco Road. No radio or auto disturbs hillbillies of the colony. And a woman of 39 has 13 children. So he really depicted them as less than kind of people. In his articles, Kilgallen made fun of Onion Towners. They were scared of cameras. They weren't well educated. As if having a good education is the only thing that makes you a human being. The fact that they didn't want their pictures taken does not make you a bad person. But he depicted them and portrayed them that way because that's the way he perceived them. It's not the social norm, so we're going to alienate them? Yes. So for most of Onion Town's history, the residents of surrounding areas have quietly judged the Onion Towners, but mostly left them alone until the mid-2000s. In the mid-2000s, suburban youth, who we know are not always well-behaved, the youth from nearby towns started to venture up to gawk at them. In early 2008, there were a couple of youths, and I did watch this video. 
they went to Onion Town and created a shaky video called Onion Town Adventures, which appeared on YouTube. In this YouTube video, three young people drive up a dirt road. They're in an SUV. It's at dusk. They're pretending like they're reenacting a scene from Deliverance while they're commenting on this little inbred hick village that they're about to go explore. The guy in the back seat sarcastically says, we're gonna die. The young man in the passenger seat has a pickaxe. This is videotaped. And he says, I'm going to take one of those efforts with me. Once they cross the invisible border into Onion Town, their video, everything seems to take an out-of-the-ordinary significance. They roll down the windows. They're snapping pictures on their camera phone of their homes, the trailers, the piles of trash that they find. They're making fun of the people. They're making fun of the animals. They find a guy standing in the woods. They call him Sketchy. No, honestly, if I saw you standing in the woods, I'd <laughs> they kind of made it into a Blair Witch type thing, and then they posted it on YouTube. Later that summer, after this video gets posted and watched a lot, it inspires other young people to do the same. Two teenagers from the wealthy town of Mahopak ventured into Onion Town with a camcorder for the sole purpose of poking fun at the people that live there. They have nothing better to do with their lives? No. The age of social media? No. They have nothing better to do with their lives. Go on. They weren't quite so lucky. Serves them right. After poking fun at them, Onion Towners decided that they were going to wield some bricks and the rocks and they were attacked their car. And they did. Both of the young people ended up in the hospital. The incident made national news, which just added to Onion Town's reputation. The situation was actually made worse by the state police investigator who warned the press, anyone that doesn't belong there, anyone that's not a resident, just stay out of Onion Town, which we know young wealthy people, it's like a challenge. Mm-hmm. Tell me I shouldn't, I will. Young wealthy people? That's just young people in general. I would agree with you. So all of this commotion just made Onion Town more interested, bringing out adventure-seeking teenagers who were inspired by videos with titles like A Day in the Inbred Village, who started arriving in large groups, undeterred by the fact that their excursions had a good chance of being followed by a trip to the ER. I watched this video, too, that I'm going to talk about. A teenage interloper's camcorder points at the floorboard, and all you hear are girls screaming at the top of their lungs, Oh my God, oh my God, leave us alone, leave us alone. Like, they're just screaming hysterically. Like, they're giant drama queens. Below the clip, you hear some guys chasing us down the road in his car. You see a car pass the young people's vi- the young people's vehicle stop in front of them and the young people go around them they threw a rock at the windshield they got chipped the young people are like these people are psycho they're screaming i watched the video the kids come across as arrogant and stupid and they seem to have a sense of self-worth that they have not earned so good kids onion town then became a kind of real life haunted house for more bored suburban teams One girl got a brick to the side of her head. Car windows of people that were just driving around to make fun of the residents were routinely smashed. The Onion Towners pulled the people out and beat them. Well, why the hell do people feel the need to go make fun of anybody? Some people who had their cars chased by other Onion Towners actually drove their cars into trees or rocks while trying to escape. I saw some of these videos too. Eventually, the local police contacted Google and had as many of the videos pulled off of YouTube as possible. But the damage had already been done because Onion Town had actually gone viral. Once it's on the internet, it's like there forever. Yeah. The truth is to me, these are people. These are human beings. They are trying to live their lives and they are trying to survive. The best way they can. These are a group of people who have had to fight their entire lives just to stay alive because of the reputation 
Well, technically they didn't have because they chose to. All because they have a reputation. They have a reputation due to rumors they didn't start. They work, they play, they attend school, they celebrate holidays, they have children, they commemorate, they mourn, just like the rest of us. They feel the same emotions as any other human being on this earth. The difference here... Society really plays on the whole being a bully thing. And... The difference here is that you and I haven't been put under a microscope. We aren't treated like an attraction at the zoo because our way of life is different. We are not a sideshow for unimaginative teenagers to gawk at and make fun of, to take pictures of, so they can show off to all their other friends who also have no real purpose in life. Although, if somebody did take a microscope to my life, I might become a YouTube sensation. We could dissect it. I just walk around my house naked all the time. <laughs> I would, like, have my finger in my nose flicking it at the windows. <laughs> Just a screw people. The people of Onion Town, they didn't start this. They are just a group of people who have had to basically fight a guerrilla war for their privacy, something you and I take for granted. They aren't looking for trouble, but if trouble shows up, they do not walk away. So Onion Town is still there, and the rumors are plentiful as always, and they will probably abound even after the neighborhood ceases to exist, because that is just the type of place it is. Because we humans are seldom as intelligent as we make ourselves out to be. Onion Town's reputation is now more intimidating than ever before, and people once again fear for their lives to even go there. And I say good. One resident explained, because of our reputation, we have to suffer everyone else's stupidity. If you're not part of their world, playing society's games and making up stories to tell about yourself, someone will make up the stories for you. So, <laughs> I have to say, I started looking at this story a couple weeks ago because of our listener suggestion. And when I started the story, I was curious and I was intrigued. And I spent a couple weeks reading, watching videos, and honestly trying to figure out why this story bothered me so much. Because you're an overly emotional person. Um, occasionally, yes, I am. Okay. Sometimes I can tell some bad stories and not get emotional, but I did get emotional with this one. At 1.30 this morning, I got out of bed because I needed to write, because my brain wouldn't shut off and all the thoughts were swirling around inside. I needed to understand. I needed to understand why I felt so much emotion for this story, because honestly, it's a short story. There's really not a lot to it. No. You got a poor, run-down neighborhood. You got some stupid people. There's not a whole lot there. Yeah, but another part of society nowadays is Karen's. After all my writing, I realized... I'm angry. I'm angry for these people. I'm angered by the sheer stupidity, the insensitivity, and the inhumanity that other human beings display. I am angry for the indignities that this neighborhood has endured and will probably continue to suffer by the fact of these are people. They have the right to be treated with respect and dignity, which I am sure they have never been. Not even sure if I have the right to be angry for them. I was about to say, um, you're doing the exact opposite of what they want. They want less attention, and you're bringing attention to them. Felt like it was a story I had to tell. Well, I understand that. I'm just I'm not you know, you suggesting anybody go them, check them out. No, but you being angry for them is exactly what they don't want. They just want to be left alone. And you're right on that. But I'm human. I am fallible. If nothing else, I have learned that headlines and stories have a lot of layers to them. And occasionally I am as guilty as the next person of not peeling those layers back. That is the story of Onion Town. A town full of ogres because they're like onions. <laughs> Not like cakes. If you're looking for cake, look somewhere else. We hope you enjoyed our story today. You can find us on Facebook at Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know or at TMSIDNTK at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter at TMSIDNTK. Those are the initials for the titles for those of you who cannot figure that out on your own. 
Anchor sponsors our podcast, so you can find us on Anchor, and you can find us pretty much anywhere you find your favorite podcast that you listen to. Look, she can use English. I know. It didn't happen a couple times today, but that's okay. <laughs> so, obviously, this podcast is co-hosted by Andrew and myself, and welcome back, Andrew. Sometimes it's co-hosted by me. Other times it's co-hosted by my aunt. <laughs> Dogs, cats. Apparently I'm replaceable. <laughs> All right, Andrew. Final thought for the day? Yeah, you ready? Sure. Don't roll your eyes out loud. (laughs) With you, it's impossible. Have a great day, guys. Bye. Bye.